Have you noticed these days that everything that you see on TV, everything that you see in movies, just looks gorgeous? There has been such an amazing level of quality, like the bar for the level of quality for cinematography is so high right now. Um, And I wonder why that is. Is it because the gear makes it easier to shoot these things? Mm -hmm. Is it because the producers are now really obsessed with great images? I mean, maybe it's because the producers are, are, are very much involved with the equipment and the gear these days. Could it be that? I don't know, man. I like to believe that it's because there are just really amazing and talented cinematographers out there that have been learning from the cinematographers from the past and that are inspired by this new gear and inspired by all this new equipment, but they have a really cool voice and they have something interesting to say visually. Um, And I know I've talked in other episodes how with a lot of directors, it just seems like there isn't that much attention paid to tone these days. I will say the complete opposite with cinematographers. I am so incredibly um, excited about a lot of the imagery that I see. I could be watching a piece of shit TV show and it looks phenomenal right now. Um, And one of the cool things about having this podcast is that I'm able to sit down with a lot of these cinematographers that are doing really amazing things. Um, I have promoted it before on the show, but you should definitely check out David Kruda's uh, Instagram account. It's a cinematography salon in which he is posting images from a lot of really phenomenal young cinematographers that are out there in the industry uh, making really great stuff. Um, And uh, I didn't find today's guest through his account, although I talked to him and apparently he was doing a post uh, the same day that I was recording this episode uh, on her work. But uh, I did find uh, today's guest through Instagram, which is so fascinating that this one medium has become so powerful for so many creatives in our business right now. I mean, that's how I'm booking most of my guests. That's how I'm talking to uh, the listeners of this show. Um, and if you haven't already, please go follow me at Mike Petchy on Instagram or follow the podcast in love with the process P O D on Instagram. Uh, there you can leave suggestions Uh, For guests, people that you would like to hear me talk to, eat lunch with, (laughs) Um, and uh, basically just have on the show, which I listen, I've done it before, I've booked the guests that you guys have asked for, and I read your shit, so please go send me a note on Instagram and let me know what's up. And also, while I'm talking about it, uh, you've heard me talk about my films, 12KM and Who's There?, The only way you can see my movies, because I do not believe in just dumping them on YouTube, is by sending me a message on Instagram. Say, hey, I'd like to see 12Cam, or hey, I'd like to see who's there. These are my three favorite horror movies. And if I agree with you, then you might get a link from me. You might get a link from me. So that's the only way to see the movies. Um, So back to what today's episode is all about. Cinematography. As you know, I came up as a cinematographer. I love telling movies through the visuals. I love telling movies through blocking. And I fucking love lighting. Um, And so today, once again, I'm going to jump in deep with another cinematographer. um, And she's fantastic. Like I said, I found her work on Instagram. 
but I just fell in love with the creamy, dreamlike, very high color photography that she shoots, uh, Miss Kayla Hoff. Uh, Kayla is an LA-based cinematographer and she stays really busy. Um, and I've already recorded this episode, I'm just redoing the intro before I put it out. Um, I had a blast talking with her. We get really nerdy about lighting. We get really nerdy about lensing. Uh, we talk about crew stuff and how uh, the role of a cinematographer isn't just being someone that takes pretty pictures. But it's also about being a mentor, a mother to the crew. Um, and it's really interesting to hear because she's a relatively new cinematographer. And by new, she's been doing it for years, but she's a younger cinematographer. And it's interesting to hear how she processes a lot of the stress that comes with breaking into the business. Uh, this is a great episode. So if you're a fan of how cool shit looks lately and you want to know more, this is the episode for you. Um, and I don't know if you know this yet, but I just redid the In Love With The Process website. This episode will be categorized. I think it goes in the film crew section, although I'm interviewing so many cinematographers at this point that I'm probably going to just have a straight up cinematography section. But at the official website, which is in loveoftheprocess.com, I break up the episodes into categories to make it very simple for you. Because I know you guys have the attention span of a fucking gnat. I make it very simple for you to go through and choose the category that you want to listen to. So you want to check out artists? Click on the artist section. Boom. All laid out for you. And the other thing that's cool about going to the official website is I'm also posting like reels of the people that are on the show, images from sets. Maybe I'm cross-referencing another podcast, so I'll post that podcast as well. And I also have my sponsor section up. I'm going to say this to you guys. It's important if you enjoy this show, not only that you're listening to my sponsor reads, but just click through on any of the links that I have below or go to the website and check them out. And all you have to do is click on them because they track the links. This is how the industry works. This is how podcast world works. They give me a traceable link so they know every person that goes to their website where they come from. So do me a favor. If you can't uh, donate to the show, if you've already signed up for Audible and you can't do the Audible free trial, which the link is below if you haven't, we get money if you do that, do that. Um, then just click on any of the links. It's that simple. While you're listening to it, click on it. They'll know you come from me. Play the game. Works out really well. And while you're there, you're probably going to find something that you want. You know what I mean? I'm always honest with you guys, and that's how it works for the show. And um, so that said, let's get into it. Let's get into another episode about cinematography. But this is a good one. It comes from a whole different perspective. Uh, it's about a whole different avenue of cinematography. And I'm telling you, Kayla, was it's the first time I met her. She came here to the house. We sat in the kitchen, had a little cheese board, had some food. So you guys get to hear us eat really great food again. <laughs> and you can't have any of it. Um, but uh, she's wonderful. I had a really good time hanging out with her. So you know the deal. Do yourself a favor. Get some snacks because we're eating really good stuff in this episode and you're going to get fucking hungry. And get something good. Don't just go get that bag of Cheetos, you fat piece of shit. Go get something good. Maybe some fruit, maybe some cheese. I love the fact that you guys are trapped here. 
<laughs> I could just ridicule you. I love that. I love that about podcasts where you can't speak back to me in the moment so I can feel good about myself by calling you a fat piece of shit. It's really cool. <laughs> so you know the deal. Go find yourself a snack. Find yourself a nice comfy spot to hang out. Throw in those noise-canceling headphones. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of With Love With The Process. Hey, Kayla. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Um, I found you through Instagram. Mm-hmm. We were talking about this before we started recording. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really loved your work. I loved your style. Thank you. Uh, you have like this vibrant color, like very colorful, very like, some, I don't want to say clean because I don't want to use that as like a derogatory <laughs> term, but it was just felt very crisp and clean. Yeah, you know? thank you. Um, yeah, it's funny you say that because I think color was such a scary thing to me when I was first starting to be a DP. Oh, why? Um, I don't know. Just like, I guess just not being super confident and like, what if these colors don't look good together? And now, you know, it's, I'm just, I'm comfortable with it. And it's funny. I actually, um, was watching black narcissists and Jack Cardiff's use of color. And I was like, this guy was using color before led RGB units mm-hmm. on film Mm-hmm. Like, and it's just, yeah, it's just so fun. I love it. I love it now. That's awesome. I, <laughs> yeah. I use color all the time. Jeannie uses color all the time. Like we started years ago, uh, pre the led stuff. And that was us like looking through gels. Totally. Like, yeah. I love that. I still have like two or three gel rolls out back <laughs> that I still go through and use. Yeah. I had my huge gel bucket. I, f- I actually finally got rid of it. Um, but I would just sit in my car and like, it, gels were like in my car everywhere um all the time but yeah rgb kind of changed everything <laughs> it really did it really did um so yeah color so fascinating so how did you so you were afraid of color initially yeah i don't know if afraid is the right word i guess just a little nervous to because color you know it's not always the right choice it depends on the project obviously like music videos are a lot more um you know, a better platform for crazy color use and stuff. But, um, yeah, I guess just afraid of being bold, I guess is what it was. Hmm. Um, not so much anymore though. Now I love it. <laughs> you can tell by your work. Thank it's quite you. obvious. So let's, um, let's catch the audience up because the audience probably doesn't know who you are. Nope. Um, so what do you, where did you start? How did you decide to be a DP? I, um, like a lot of DPs, um, liked photography, didn't do it professionally or anything. Um, just kind of liked it. Um, took some film classes and, uh, then the real story is like, I was watching no country for old men. It's, Mm. it's a cliche. I know. But, um, that scene where the sheriff's getting choked and it cuts that shot of the feet on the floor. And I had like this moment of like, that could have been been shot and framed any any way, you know, like from any angle. And that's how it was shot. And it makes you like feel just so uncomfortable. And it's so visceral. And um, then I started looking at the lighting. I was like, oh, my God, like 
who who is in charge of doing this? So I literally went home and Googled who lights movies. And of course, like gaffer came up. So I was like, I'm going to be a gaffer. <laughs> I'm going to be the gaffer that lights the movies and, and frames the shots. And um, then, you know, doing more research, realized that's not <laughs> who does all that. Uh, and then, you know, director of photography. And I thought like, oh, no, but I don't want to take photos. And then I want to be, and I was like, oh, it's cinematographer is the same thing. Okay, you know, that's what I'm going to do. That's mm-hmm. what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I uh, I transferred to Chapman from um, OCC, which is a community college. Mm-hmm. And I got into their cinematography program and I was scared out of my mind. Like, what am I doing? I, you know, there weren't a lot of girls. I think one, of, I was one of three girls, but I didn't, wasn't expecting that either. I was like, whoa, what did I get myself into? But <laughs> um, I'm glad I did. <laughs> so has it always been cinematography for you? Did you do crew positions first or did you just jump oh, right yeah. in? No, I mean, part of that fear pushed me to be on set as much as possible because I, you know, you're literally the director of photography and I just, I was like, I don't know, you know, why is that? I would go on set and look at the DPs. Why is he putting that light there instead of over there? And and um, like, what is that net thing that he put on the, the bottom? You know, just like, what what are all these things? And um, yeah, no, I would go on set and literally just do anything, any position they needed. Smart. Um, That's very smart. Yeah. I mean, uh, a lot. I, I, you know, veered toward the electrician side. Um, I really liked that. And uh, I think it seemed like DPs were either, you know, come up through the AC route or the mm-hmm. gaffer route. And I was like... Okay, I can always figure out how to work a camera. I'm not always going to be able to figure out, you know, how to light necessarily. I think it takes practice. So I, um, yeah, I kind of stayed uh, um, in the electrician side of things. And um, I gripped a little bit, but I'm not a very good grip. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I tried to grip every now and then. Um, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I love that. Lighting to me, and I've said this on other shows, and I'm going to repeat myself, and those of you <laughs> listening have to just fucking deal with it. But uh, lighting to me is it's such a visceral experience. Mm-hmm. Like if I walk into a space that has great lighting, it's like eating good food, mm-hmm. and I say that all the time. Mm-hmm. Like I'll just walk into a room that has great lighting and just sort of sit there and just, and it, it just sort of balances me out. It goes the other way too. Bad lighting. Like oh, I walked God. into my apartment and uh, my friend was with me. And it was just those awful, awful, like sterile white lights. And I was like, I did the first thing I did. I was like, I have to change these lights out immediately. <laughs> our place has, I mean, our landlord was kind of bragging about it in our new spot. He's like, I've got all these energy efficient lights. And you turn it on. It's like, it's like a fucking hospital like, gurney. Oh God, get me out. Yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, I'm going to find like old filaments and like <laughs> the most energy inefficient way yeah. possible to make the place look nice. It feels better though. You feel like you're at home. You totally do. And there's, there's something about that atmosphere and maybe it is because we're so such cinephiles, Mm -hmm. I guess is the way to say it. But, um, I love fucking lighting. Okay. So a lot of people, a lot of young people that I meet, uh, are always in awe of lighting because Mm -hmm. they feel like lighting is like magic. Yeah. And, and I don't know if it was the same for you, but for me, I remember, I had to teach myself how to shoot and I became a cinematographer for a while because I needed to out of, mm-hmm. out of necessity yeah. where I was living. But lighting was like, how the fuck do I get started? Like, right. how do I get started? How do I go into it? Yeah. Was it's it, overwhelming. Was it overwhelming for you too? At first, like when I would first go on set and, you know, see the 
you know, HMIs and all that stuff. Like, whoa, you know, I used to think M18s are such big lights. You know, like, you're like, wow. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess now my approach is just, I think, you know, like a lot of DPs, it's just where would it come from normally? Because right. if you start to think about, you know, like, wow, this is literally just a clean slate, a clean palette. I can do anything. It it does get overwhelming, I think. Totally. So I think just starting with, you know, where would the source be coming from? I think that's why, you know, night interiors are some of my favorites because it's really up to you. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just like painting whatever picture you want to paint at that point. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, walking on, like, a black set. Mm-hmm. Oh, my it's God. It's scary. It's, it's scary. Like, it's, really <laughs> it's like, whoa, it's, this is up to me now. Yeah. And I think you got to, you know, a lot of times it's like, okay, how does it feel, warmer or cooler? You know, and going from there, okay, maybe we motivate from moonlight. Maybe we motivate from the practicals. Maybe it's a mixture of both. So, yeah, I think just starting with the basics, like, where would the light actually be coming from normally? Hmm. And then going from there. But do you find yourself examining real life scenarios and trying to keep notes? Oh yeah. I mean, I feel like, yeah, it's, you see the sun hitting something a certain way in your apartment at a certain time of day. And it's like, I could do that, you know, like it's just a matter of it being, you know, artificial, but recreating that. And I mean, yeah, I think that's some of you know, the best inspiration you can get is real life because you can't, you can't get better than that, you know, the actual sun. So, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the sun is like the ultimate light. Yeah, it's the like ultimate. the ultimate light for sure. <laughs> well, you know, it's also fascinating. It took me a while, and I love this. We're going to get nerdy about this no, shit. No, please, let's do it. Um, it took me a while to realize, like right now, right? Mm-hmm. We're being illuminated in this kitchen by, right. by the outside light and just sort of going, okay, cool, so that's the sun doing it, but mm-hmm. it isn't the sun doing it. It's actually the it's house bouncing, across the way, right. which is bouncing off that house, which is a certain color, which is adding the color to the space. Texture, yeah. Uh, and so then going from like the initial, which I feel like for me early on was like, what lights do I use? How do I turn them on? How do I like distribute power? Like what is all this bullshit as far as like technical stuff that I got to deal with? Right. And then it came down to like, how do I change the quality of light? Mm-hmm. You know? And mm-hmm. then... I think every DP has their own taste as far as like the quality of light. What would you describe? How do you, how would you describe manipulating the quality of light? I, I'm a like soft light DP. Um, I, I love soft light. Although the, the last short I shot, um, it was on 16 million. I ventured out to the hard light sort of side of things. It was a lot of fun, but, um, yeah, I I just think again it depends. I would say I'm much more com- comfortable using soft light, but um I think it just depends on the story you're telling. Um 100%, you know, cuz soft light isn't always going to communicate the feeling you want to you want the audience to feel in a certain moment. You know, it might be harsh and uncomfortable. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it depends. And when you say soft light, cuz some of the people listening to this show are just like this is magic stuff. Yeah. You guys are talking magic <laughs> shit. I don't know what this is. What is soft light in your opinion? Soft light is a quality of light um, with minimal shadows. So for instance, like the light we're in right now is relatively soft because it's not direct. The sun isn't coming through the window directly. It's bouncing off of this lighter colored wall from the house um, across from you guys. And it's just, yeah, really, really soft shadows. And, um, 
yeah, a lot of times it, it comes from bouncing units into, you know, an ultra bouncer or whatever. Sometimes you can bounce it onto something and then break it through diffusion too. Um, book lighting and yeah, I love I love a good book light. <laughs> book lights are insane. I, I remember because I've sort of come into the industry and you may be the same way. I came into the industry sort of the back door. Mm-hmm. I found that doing my own films and doing my own stuff, I started to create my own little techniques, but I would come at it in reverse. Mm-hmm. And so then when I started to work with real crews and so I started to be a cinematographer with a team of people and like gaffer comes over to me and starts like, you want a book light? And I'm like, what the fuck yeah, is a like, book light? Oh, sure, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because they, it's the, the cool thing about our industry is that um, cinema is a language, whether you're talking about editing or you're talking about lenses. And even when you're talking about lighting, mm-hmm. there's a language behind lighting. There's this emotion that is automatically conveyed by soft light. Mm-hmm. There's emotion that's automatically conveyed by like hard noir lighting mm-hmm. that this audience has now really figured out. And uh, the gaffers and the technicians that work in this industry uh, jump from like DP to DP and they're going from crew to crew. Mm-hmm. And so they ha- they have to come up with this lingo that sort of works straight through. Right. And, and so what what is a book light? What do you, what would you, how would you describe a book light? A book light is kind of, I mean, it's a go-to for soft light. It, it's literally taking a unit or multiple units, um, depending on, you know, what you have for gear, um, bouncing it into, um, something reflective. A mm-hmm. lot of times an ultra bounce, which is kind of like this white material. Mm-hmm. And then from there, that bounce light gets shot through a diffusion. So it can be, you know, half grid or magic cloth or can be thin or thick, depending on what you're going for. But, um, yeah, it's basically taking a source and, and redirecting it so that it's not directly hitting the subject. And then you have the grip department that comes in and sort of... Yeah, shapes the shapes heck out it. of it. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. it goes everywhere at that point. Right, yeah. I mean, I looked at some technical diagrams once and it was talking about the position, like the, the direction of the beams and how when you bounce a beam off of something, the beams spread wider. And then how when you put the beam through something else, like a diffusion... The beam spread even wider than that. Mm-hmm. It goes all over. Right. And then if you're doing like a close-up or if you're doing someone's portrait or face, that light is somehow just wrapping around a curved object, mm-hmm. which is fascinating. Yeah. It's light is nuts. It's it's I mean, there's just so I'm not a super technical person, but that's actually changing. I subscribe to American Cinematographer and uh, I'm doing my monthly reading on the latest updates in technology. <laughs> I did. I had this like epiphany of like, I need to be up to date because as much as you want to get artistic and, you know, romantic about filmmaking and cinematography, there's a technical side to it. So I was like, I got to stay up to date. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I try to know as much as I possibly can, but once I decided to like put my foot down and go, I'm directing more than I'm shooting and mm-hmm. I'm going to do that. I literally just sort of walked away from it maybe like five years ago. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just like, <sighs> yeah, it's like every day something's coming out. Like it's nuts. The amount of films shot with the Alexa 65 and DNA lenses, like, whoa, oh my <laughs> God. I, um, I DM'd a, a cinematographer who shot with them recently uh, it was for Euphoria. I'm sure you've heard of that yes. show. And yeah. I was like, what filtration do you guys, did you guys use? And he was like, none. And I was like, that was just the lenses? And he's like, yeah. I was like, whoa. 
Um, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing. Lenses are a whole other conversation that we can get into and we should, fuck it. Um, <laughs> but lenses are like, the only way I can describe them is like eyes. Mm-hmm. It's like choosing somebody else's eyes to see something, mm-hmm. which is, wow. fun. yeah, it's fascinating. I haven't heard that. that. That's very true though. Mm. It's me getting romantic yeah, about Yeah, you get paintbrushes. They're like your paintbrushes. <laughs> but eyes is a new one. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, really, I have always been, and uh, Cruder and I, because he shoots a lot of my stuff. So Cruder mm-hmm. and I have had these conversations before where I hate clean, 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 clean. Mm-hmm. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And and it seems like with um, digital and the advent of like super clean Super high definition, and then you know the fucking TV manufacturers that yeah. put stuff out and that yeah. just destroy all mm-hmm. your hard work. Um, but I love because it, in real life, everybody wears glasses. My windshield's gross. That's how I see the world is through a gross windshield, you know. Mm-hmm. And so when I see stuff that is just too crisp and too clean, yeah, I can't believe it. It just it pulls me out. Suspension of disbelief is just completely killed. Yeah, well, because we don't really see things that crisp and, and clean, you know? So it's kind of like taking the the everyday feeling you would have. And I don't know. Yeah, I think that's why I kind of don't really shoot on red that much. Sorry. I, yeah, I'm, no, I'm with you. Uh, I'm totally with you. <laughs> red to me is like a science box. Yes, it's like just... You get all the K's, but who cares? Like, it doesn't look good. It's <laughs> very true. How many K's do you need? Yeah, right? Uh-huh. I mean, uh-huh. yeah. So whenever the director's like, yeah, we're going to shoot on red, I'm like, oh, okay, I guess, you know. Why? Yeah. Why? And it's because we, we need all the K's. It's like, all right, well, I'm going to diff the heck out of it with filtration then. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but I'm chewing because it's really good. Have a snack. You I'm afraid that it's it's gonna like be too noisy if I Mm-mm. do. Right? So you, I'm chewing. You can hear me chewing. It's like those sounds, those thing, that new thing that people ASMR videos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Strangely, I hate those things. <laughs> but what you guys need to understand is that we're staring at a beautiful charcuterie board right now. It's delicious. Mm. Pear, blue cheese. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's a manchango, actually. A manchango? Manchango cheese. So it's like a Spanish cheese. Ooh, fancy. Really good. And if you're going to do the blue, <laughs> do the blue with this preservative. Everybody at home's like, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's, it is delicious. Thank you. Yeah. Help yourself. Um, so let me see here. So lenses. Back to lenses. Mm-hmm. I love... Uh, the way lenses warp things. There's a refrigerator sound. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> the ASMR refrigerator. Exactly. Yeah. I love I loved just being in a real location. <laughs> um, so with lenses, what are your favorite lenses? What do, you, what, do you, what do you tend to fall on? What are the ones that, what are your favorite eyes? My favorite eyes are Cook lenses. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of my work is shot with Cook. Um, probably really defines that look we were talking about earlier. How there's like that color, but also clean or whatever. Very crisp. Yeah, crisp. crisp. And not sharp, but just Mm -hmm. crisp. It's. I think it's. Um, that's attributed to the cooks for sure. With the mini, most of the time, and um, yeah, I just like. You know, they're they are crisp, but there's like this milkiness in the shadows Mm -hmm. that. I absolutely love. And um, 
yeah, again, like it depends on the project. Those aren't the right lenses for for every project, but um, those are usually, you know, my go-to for music videos and things like that. Um, I do own a set of cooks, so I'm biased. So I gotta, I have to throw that out there. Otherwise, I'd feel like I was just telling this big lie. So, yeah. <laughs> well, and it, that's another fascinating thing too is that um, I feel like lenses is the best investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Cameras yeah. are gonna. I mean, the new the new mini is coming out soon, and yeah, the cameras are just you know developing at an insane pace but lenses you know they're gonna keep their look and then just turn into vintage badass vintage lenses at mm-hmm. some point so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at the lenses that will go cheap and then suddenly someone will figure out how to make them look cool again right and then they're the most expensive lenses in the market yep exactly and it's glass and i think ultimately it's because that's all that really matters mm-hmm. is like the glass that you're capturing that light through the glass that you're actually seeing the picture through yeah absolutely yeah i've just recently kind of started playing around more freely with filtration and that's a whole nother thing i think um tiffin has tiffin who you know manufactures filters has this like 45 minute long video on vimeo of Mm -hmm. all of their filters and it's a test and i kid you not like i just i watched the whole thing i was like whoa (laughs) just so amazed you know and then impulsively bought like filters but not a whole set so that it's kind of useless because I only have like one of three different <laughs> types of filters <laughs> but I got so excited I was like yeah this is this is a great way to spend my you know not at all because you can rent a set of filters for like 15 bucks <laughs> but um yeah I got really excited about it <laughs> filtration is really cool man it, it comes back to that thing that I was talking about where like the stuff just feels too fucking clean mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know I have this I, I bought accidentally, I bought like a variable ND that was mm-hmm. a screw on ND. Accidentally? Well, I bought it for a video, but I accidentally I got the side effects of it. Okay. You have to deal with my, with my terrible brain. Um, so I bought this filter and I was just going to use it as a variable ND because I wanted to be able to stop down but keep my depth of field, mm-hmm. you know? And so I bought this thing, but the filter was too loose. And mm-hmm. what it did is it did this really cool ghosting mm-hmm. that ran through the filter and when you use the piece it feels like you're running a hazer in the room and you're not running a hazer in the room yeah and it was such, such an accidental thing yeah and we ended up shooting like three or four projects with it and then people would just write and they're just like how did you do a hazer while doing a documentary and it's like i didn't you're like oh i didn't i had a broken <laughs> filter that created this look that's awesome and it's what i love about optical mm-hmm. optical is accidentally whether it's flares or whether it's a busted filter or whether it's something that's out of focus or something that isn't sharp you can find like a really cool narrative paintbrush in there yeah yeah absolutely i think happy accidents are the best parts of filmmaking at times you know Mm -hmm. when you have that moment where you're like oh no like I fucked that up and then you look back with the director and you guys are just like, oh my God, like that's incredible. Like, wow. Because something that, you know, you can't come up with unless it's an accident. I don't know. It's Those are fun moments. I, I love it. And as a director, that's essentially what I try to create is the mm-hmm. opportunity for those because everything else is planned out. I believe in being planned. I believe in like storyboarding and yeah, I believe in all that. Yeah, you have to. And when you do that, you're prepped. Mm-hmm. And then you have all the answers that you think you need, but then it starts to get really boring. Yeah. And then if you have the, the, these 
whether it's a busted filter, whether it's like an erratic crew person or someone else that's going to bring something new to it. And you're mm-hmm. just like, okay, okay. There's this thing that I never could have imagined. Right. Let's circle around that thing. Yeah. And let's make that interesting. You know? I was um, listening to or watching an interview for um, from the Joker just because I wanted to know what Joaquin was like on set. I was mm-hmm. like, what? A, I wonder, you know, was he a diva or was he just, you know, so I was watching these interviews and um, Phillips was talking about how that scene where, you know, he's in the bathroom and he's dancing. Have you seen it? Mm-hmm. Okay. I loved it. Yeah. Um, that moment was my favorite moment in the film. And um, I was so excited he was talking about it. But he said it was like him and Joaquin in the bathroom. And um, whatever was written in the script wasn't feeling right to them. So they just sat there for like an hour trying to think, you know, how do we communicate this moment? And then um, I guess Phillips played a, a the score that had just got sent to him or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Joaquin just started dancing and it was just them two. And he said, that's it. And it's like speaking to happy accidents. Yeah. So cool. And that was my favorite moment in the movie. It was just so, so good. I love the movie. Yeah, it was, it was good. It, I was, it good. was really fantastic. So you guys hungry or what? I know that you've had to sit here and listen to me eat because Kayla is so interested in telling you about what she does that uh, she hasn't been eating as much as I have. I think I've cleared out most of the cheese board, but this is a perfect opportunity for me to stop and give respect and love, true love, to the people that support this show. I don't mean just you guys. Because a lot of you support the show, but how many of you have actually left a review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify? Ask yourself that. And if you haven't, I want you to feel real guilty about the fact that you haven't left a review yet. Because I need that shit in order for the show to exist. So please, while listening to the show, click that little star thing that's underneath whatever fucking player that you're listening to it on. And give me five stars. I'll tell you what, you give me five stars and I'll stop calling you a fat piece of shit. How's that? (laughs) And it's two stars now. Um, All right, so anyway, now it's time to talk about our sponsors. Love these guys. Let's start from the top. Puget Systems. If you are an independent filmmaker, if you're an independent photographer, if you are a music recordist, if you're just a gamer, if you're someone that likes to surf the internet and have five monitors to do so, Buy yourself a PC. We now live in a world where you don't have to be a slave to brands when it comes to computers. Uh, For me, it's all about power. It's all about upgradability and it's about customer support. And Puget Systems is the best at all of that. Uh, They beat out even the big boys. Um, So go to PugetSystems.com. There you can actually choose a computer or a system based upon the software you use which is super very awesome (laughs) because you can essentially go there and say look i want to build a photoshop machine bam they'll give you a baseline package for that photoshop machine and here's what's so awesome about them they want to hear from you you can reach out to them and they will help you build a custom machine based upon your budget based upon your needs um they're really great. And if you're someone that just wants to build your own PC, 
The thing that's great about Puget is that they benchmark test all of their hardware that they use. So if you've ever been someone that's tried to build the computer before, you're desperately going through like top 10 hardware articles or maybe trade magazines. And you're like, man, I want to get the newest graphics card and I want to get this RAM thing and this motherboard supposedly the best. But then as you put it together, for some fucking reason, the RAM doesn't work with a motherboard and it's just back and forth. And then you're returning shit to Amazon and it's a nightmare. So the cool thing about Puget is that they test all this gear and they fucking run it hard through these programs. And then they post those specs on their website. So if you're building a system, go to the website and check it out because they will literally give you the specs and the benchmark tests that they've done because they're not just about making money off you guys. They actually really give a shit about this community and they want to build the PC community. So go check them out. PewDieSystems.com. All right. Also, a big sponsor for season two of In Love With The Process are my good buddies over at Quasar Science. One of the best advancements in uh, the photography world and the film world has been LED lights. How amazing LED lights have become um, and the best on the market. If you're a gaffer, if you're a lighting technician listening to the show, if you're a DP in the show, when you're on a set, there's usually... uh, whole shelf full of quasar tubes quasar are amazing uh led uh units that are perfectly color balanced you can get the rainbow led tubes um which will basically dial in any color in the rainbow which being a huge color person as a photographer and a director and even um kayla talks on the show about using color um the cool thing about these tubes is that you don't necessarily have to go buy swatches of gels anymore. You can dial it all in. And if the look coming off of an LED is the look that suits you, um, I would totally check them out. I've got a bunch of tubes. I've got a bunch of two-foot tubes. I've got little one-foot tubes. They're really great. Uh, they're good lights for soft sources. They're great lights for edge lights. Um, and then they're also very small, very lightweight, very compatible. So if you have some small little hatchback, and you're driving your ass around to job to job, uh, and you need to conserve space, uh, you don't have to have one of those giant cases that I used to have. Uh, so definitely check them out. Go look at all the new shit that they're putting together. Go to the link below, click through to the link below, and check out all their new units. They're doing a lot of really cool stuff. I actually got to go visit those guys and hang out because their headquarters are here in Los Angeles, and they were showing me all of these really cool new toys that are coming out in the market. I'm not going to tell you about them all right now. The best way to learn about them is to click through. So go through to quasarscience.com. Also, I will always support these guys. Rule, Rule Boston Camera. If you are an independent filmmaker, if you're an independent photographer, and you're finding it hard to keep up with all the new trends in technology, I do not blame you because it changes every year. You go buy that new camera. It's like, what, $25,000, dollars $65,000? And then you can't seem to pay it off before there's another camera on the market. Why do that? If you want to invest in anything, I would suggest investing in lens or C-stands. C-stands never go out of style. But anyway, uh, I would highly suggest you make a great relationship with your local rental house. Uh, And if you're on the East Coast above New York, Rule Boston Camera is the only place to get gear uh, that is worth anything. How do you like that, competitors? Um... Go there, check them out, rule.com. The thing that's really great about them is that they support young independent filmmakers. 
Um, they love to teach and train you on all that new gear so you can stay up to date with everything. And if you're shooting locally in that area, hold on, let me adjust my microphone. Uh, there we go. If you're shooting locally in that area, they will come out and replace gear if it breaks on set. That's huge. It's also as huge as this fucking truck backing up on the street right now. I bet you it's another Amazon delivery. You got Amazon coming today, Gina? You're a liar. You're lying over there. My God. Have you hit the spot yet? Jesus, okay. I think he's gone. Uh, so definitely go check out Rule. Um, and if you uh, aren't on the East Coast, I highly suggest you form a relationship with your local rental house. It's really important um, to do so. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I totally lost all of that because of the beeping. <laughs> what a shitty read. Rule.com. Love you guys. <laughs> Okay, next up, uh, good buddies over at Musicbed. Super excited to have these guys as a sponsor. Um, they're on for a few episodes right now, and hopefully they stick around. And the only way that they're going to stick around, like I said, is do the click-through below. And there's a good reason to click-through with these guys. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I have, as a director, as an editor, it always sucks to get bogged down in the editing process when you're trying to track down that soundtrack for your film, for your commercial, for whatever it is that you're working on. I've been there, and so has the team from Musicbed. In fact, that's the entire reason why they've built their platform. They've made it easier than ever for you to find the song that you're looking for with intuitive, easy-to-use browse and search. Amazing indie artists and bands and incredible composers like Ryan Taubert and Chad Larson. Their roster is growing every day with tens of thousands of songs ranging from the cinematic and electronic to indie rock and hip hop. And with their and, and with either their single song licenses or their subscriptions that give you unlimited downloads, there's something for every type of filmmaker, there's something for every type of job that you're doing. So, here's the cool thing. To create your free account and learn more, go to musicbed.com. Plus, as an In Love With The Process listener, they're giving you one month of a free subscription. So that's one month for free. Or you can get 20% off a single song license. So if you get that gig, you've got that uh, song that you got to put in there, you want to save some money, maybe your client isn't paying you enough loot, go to the website, enter the promo code The Process when you check out, and you'll save 20%. You can still charge full fee to your client for that and make a little bit of money. Smart, right? That's how the game works. Um, so go to musicbag.com. Use the link below in the description of this episode. They trace that stuff. They track that stuff. It's important. Use the link. Go check them out. Uh, also, like I said before, brand new website for In Love With The Process is up. So go look at it. Everything's curated. Everything's cool. I got a bunch of new posts up there. Um, Go to inlovewiththeprocess.com and continue to follow us on Instagram at Mike Petchy on Instagram or in love with the process POD on Instagram. Two great places for that. Um, in the meantime, too, let's also talk a little bit because this show's coming out after Halloween. It was Halloween last week, and I left you guys some suggestions for movies to watch. 
I hope you enjoyed them. Um, and you know what? I'm going to leave you some more now. This is a good time to do so. Uh, you can continue watching some horror stuff. I watch horror stuff all year round, but let's progress beyond horror films, right? And let's look at some new movies that you may or may not know exist. Some of my favorites. Um, one movie that I love to pieces is uh, Ridley Scott's Black Rain. You guys ever seen this? Andy Garcia, Michael Douglas. Uh, it's about a New York cop that has to go to Tokyo, Japan, chasing down gang members. Um, it's amazing. It's like this neo-noir Tokyo, Ridley Scott, 90s, beautifully lit, lots of haze, lots of smoke, long lens, soft focus in the background stuff. Love that fucking movie. Go check it out. Black Rain, one of my favorites. Uh, and when we're on the topic of Ridley Scott, a lot of his movies that came out in the 90s, I loved to death. Him and Tony Scott. Have you ever seen a movie called The Hunger? David Bowie, um, Susan Sarandon. Who was the other actress in The Hunger? I can't remember. Gina's giving me the finger. Um, but awesome movie about vampires. I think it was the first big film done by Tony Scott. Uh, the way it's shot is so gorgeous. Uh, the way he uh, uses flash frames and flares and the kinetic energy of it and like the speed changes and the shutter speed changes in that movie such an amazing movie it's called The Hunger stars the late great David Bowie um, definitely check that out as far as photography is concerned and while we're on this 90s kick because I know a lot of you guys grew up in the 90s and you love the 90s stuff um, let's go back and watch Nine and a Half Weeks because this is a cinematography episode let's go back and look Mickey Rourke and Kim Basinger was it Kim Basinger? I think it's Kim Basinger was in that. Amazing movie. Uh, uh, directed, I think it was directed by Adrian Lyne, who also did Jacob's Ladder. Hmm. Um, but the thing that was really great is I think he was a cinematographer before. Don't quote me on that, but I know he's obsessed with lighting. He also did Flashdance. Think about that too. Um, but he had a, a way of capturing New York City in the 90s that is so incredibly specific to him. He did it with Jacob's Ladder. He also did it with Nine and a Half Weeks. He loves to use smoke and haze. He loves to use water and elements. Uh, he shoots through windows and through blinds. It's a gorgeous movie to look at. Really strange film to watch. It's got like this really crazy anxiety-fueled tone, uh, but also like this weird sexual thing that's going on with the movie. Awesome fucking movie, Nine and a Half Weeks. Those are my three selections. Let me know what you think. Like I said, go to Instagram, send me notes. Say, man, I watched that movie and it sucked or I love that movie. And do yourself a favor because I know a lot of you guys are a little bit younger than me. Uh, some of these movies may feel slow to you when you start them, but that's just because you're so inundated with fast stuff. What they used to say when I was younger is the MTV music video cutting is ruining movies for you. I feel like it led to a lot of what we're dealing with right now. And they weren't wrong. When I was younger, I was like, fuck you, you don't know movies. But the truth of the matter is, you just got to slow the pacing down. If you slow your pacing down and you allow yourself to get lost in these films, they're really wild. One thing that I love to do is imagine what it was like to live in that time period. Imagine what that city was like when you watch these movies and you get immersed into it. 
you know? So definitely check them out. Let me know what you think. All right, enough blabbing from this motherfucker. I'm going to go back and eat some cheese with Caleb. All right. So I noticed that you do a lot of serious stuff, right? I, yeah, recently. Yeah, I have done some series. What is the difference between series and one-offs? Um, the pace is crazy. Um, it's, it's heavy. Um, the series I did for Snapchat, um, was, I've done two, but the, the latest one I did was, you know, an 11 page day, which I saw that on the schedule and I was (laughs) like, you guys are crazy. Like, this is insane. You know, um, by then me and my team had kind of, um, had it dialed down because we only had to start with an eight page day. So when it got to 11, (laughs) we were fine. No, but, uh, yeah, we kind of had the formula dialed down, but, um, it was different in a way that I didn't feel like I was able to be as creative, unfortunately, just because under that time constraint, there's literally only so much you can do. You know, as soon as you put the lights down and turn them on, you are like, it's shooting. Yeah. And, um, it was also shot for vertical format so that eliminates a lot of your frame as well (laughs) oh my god yeah um which is a new thing that's being required more and more or like you know i shot a commercial and they're like yeah we're gonna shoot this 16 9 but also make sure it works in 9 by 16 and i'm like what do you (laughs) like can i show you what that looks like on a piece of paper so I can just show you guys what you just asked um but yeah I mean it's something that you kind of have to work with these days which is nuts but it's frustrating it's really frustrating because you're being manipulated and controlled by manufacturers that are putting out a product yes and that's basically what it comes down to yeah and then we brought the project into color and um exported a test and I held my phone up the colors held his phone up and the director held her phone up. We all had different iPhone models. Not even close. Like contrast levels and color. Like it wasn't even close. So we were like, let's just try to find a middle ground. I don't know. It's 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 crazy. It's nuts. Mm-hmm. It's nuts. And then and to make things even worse, then you look at the actual viewing environment that someone's looking yeah. at it on. Yeah. And you're just like mm-hmm. It's depressing. Uh, it's not it, it's, I'll, it's, it's I'll say it. It's depressing. It's fucking depressing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's depressing, especially mm-hmm. when you're, yeah, as a director, I feel like going to the cinema is the best experience for a couple of reasons. One, mm-hmm. you have, in theory, you have that screen that's been tested, you have all that, that's great. Two, you have amazing sound, immersive sound, which is great. Three, you have the fact that someone has to get up off their ass, go to a yes. place, arrive yeah. on time. And you can't fucking stop it. And you can't be on your phone or else yep. someone's going to yell at you. Yep. Like you got to just be there and be present. In that moment. Yeah. And then all this content that we're making for phones and shit like that, it isn't that. Mm-mm. It's like, okay, so we're going to lose the person in the first five frames. Yeah. So make sure in the first five frames there's a logo in the first yes. five frames yeah. somewhere. You know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's bad shit. And when you start dealing, because I just did a Sam Adams commercial a couple months ago and I was talking to the people from Sam Adams and... They were designing, they were literally designing amount of alcohol within a bottle that can be consumed 
during a commercial break <laughs> for fucking soccer. Wow. And that was like their science of shit that you're just like, okay, all right, guys. Can we just make something that is interesting to look at? Yeah. Can we just make something that tells a decent story? Can we mm-hmm. make something that people are enthralled enough that they don't want to click away on it? Right. And but even then, I feel like it's changing the way we tell a story because you can't, you know, the statistics say you're the, you know you have the first five seconds to grab this person's attention, and if you can't, they're they're gone. Mm-hmm. So it changes the way you have to tell whatever story you're trying to tell because it's like mm-hmm. something crazy has to happen in the first image, and it's like, ugh. right? It's exhausting. <laughs> it is exhausting. It's exhausting, and then that's why, like, we were just talking about Joker. I mm-hmm. fucking love that movie. Mm-hmm. And I was literally hanging out with a bunch of people this week, and they're split. Yeah, it's it's very split, I've found. Mm-hmm. And there are people that are like, the movie's fucking boring. It's boring to me. And, I can't, and you sit there and you go, how is it boring? No. It is the opposite I, yeah. of boring. I agree. I agree. I think it's, yeah, I loved it because it wasn't fast-paced and because yeah. it was so dark. Um yeah, I, I thought they did an incredible job. But the director I was meeting with just before now, he was like, eh, I didn't really like that much. And I was like, well, what? <laughs> <laughs> I've hit this point, and maybe it's because I haven't been out here long enough where I haven't sort of learned to be like, yeah. But I'm, as soon as someone says that, I'm like, what are you, fucking crazy? No, that's good. Don't lose that. <laughs> Don't lose that. I was also, it was the first time I was meeting him, so I felt like I, you know. Had to be cool about yeah, it? Yeah, I was like... Mm-mm. I disagree. I really liked it. Uh-huh. I'd be like, <laughs> so you're that asshole that can't pay attention to anything that's good. That's how I would go for that. Yeah. And he'd be like, I no longer want to be around you. You make me feel uncomfortable the same way that that movie makes me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> this is 2019, Michael. Get it, get it together. Get it together. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. I mean, and that movie was influenced by all the greats. Mm-hmm. Like the 1970s cinema. Mm-hmm. And you start going back and you're looking at French Connection and you're looking at like... Uh, point blank with Lee Marvin, and you go back and dig deep into a time period where uh, they had very restricted budgets. They had very tiny crews. I look at the fucking seventies crew list when you watch the titles go, and it's mm-hmm. like ten people. It's nuts. It's nuts, and 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 the the quality that was produced with like ten people, a camera, a set of sticks, maybe a dolly, right? You know, and some basic lighting package, and it was like this is beautiful. Yeah, it, I think. Having a crew that's 100% in it and, you know, loves the film as much as you do has a has a huge part of it, too. Because, yeah, your crew's everything. And even if it is only 10 people, but each one of those people is just so invested, it's going to make a difference. Mm. So, and I've said this before on the show, being a DP isn't just about shooting pretty pictures and buying lenses and doing all mm-hmm. that stuff. It's actually being a mom to a crew mm-hmm. and actually being a leader for a crew. Yeah. How was that transition for you? How, how do you, do you, do you feel like you're commanding a crew at this point and how did it, how long did it take you to get there? Yeah. I'm, I would say I'm more of a shy person at first. Um, no way. Uh, really? <laughs> oh, are you being sarcastic? <laughs> I was like, I don't, I think I'm shy. Yeah, no, I think I consider myself, um, more on the shy side uh-huh. and, um, kind of more quiet so when that realization hit that you know whoa I have to make calls and because the second you're like oh I don't know what do you think your crew is gonna lose respect and Mm -hmm. because you are literally you know the captain of this this ship whether Mm -hmm. it be you know 
10 people or 20 people, you know, you have camera, grip, electric. It's just, it's a lot of people to be in charge of. And um, one of my close friends, I was, it was when I was in school shooting a thesis and I was in that phase where he was gaffing for me and I was like, well, what do you think? He goes, don't ask me what I think. What do you think? He's like, you have, and you know, I was like, stop being me to me. But um, he was like, no, like if you want to do this, you have to be able to communicate what you want and why, you know, or like, and have that discussion. And I was like, okay, you're right, you're right, you're right. So it did take me a little bit, but now, um, yeah, I think working for, you know, when I was still crewing, working for DPs that didn't why have that confidence I realized how why it was so important because as soon as you're not confident um or able to communicate well it's your crews just like drowning you know because what are they you know they're not gonna make the calls for you so mm-hmm. um yeah now it's great now I'm like this is what I want let's do this you do that not you know not mean but <laughs> confident <laughs> I guess um but, but yeah, it took me a while. But that's important because a lot of people don't realize, and I've been on those sets where people are just, they can't decide. Mm-hmm. And so like if, hard. You're, if you're on a big fucking shoot, mm-hmm. if you're on a big shoot and they have like condors outside shit and it's just like, no, actually I'm wrong. Can we lift those like 20 feet in the air? Yeah. That's like a thing. And yeah. there, are, there are dudes and, and, and girls that are on those teams that are out there fucking climbing ladders and like... Mm-hmm like smashing their fingers and trying to get things up in the air. And it's yeah. just like, is this, is this what this fucking asshole yeah. wants? <laughs> you know, you hit that point. Yeah. Um, and you just have to be aware of that. I always say that when, when you're, when you're working, the difference between being a painter and the difference between being a cinematographer or a director is that your brushes are literally human beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. And you know, something like that seems like a small change. And I think that's why it's so important to crew um, you know, to get that experience, to know what you're asking of your crew, because, you know, asking, Oh, we need to move the, we need to move the key. Like, you know, to the other side, I changed my mind. That's not something that's going to be quick and easy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you, you got to know what you're asking of your crew for sure. Mm-hmm. And then like, you know, how long does it take to run that power out in that right. fucking field? And like, yeah, all that stuff. Cam, like, how heavy is Cam? Oh I, when God. I when I realized how heavy Cam was, I was like, I'm never gonna be an electrician ever again. I hate this so much. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> there hit a point where I started to feel because most of my buddies were on the team. Yeah, and I was like, Dude, I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, we got to do this, and everybody's mm-hmm. like, we want to do it for you. And I'm like, I promise, this is the only time that you're ever gonna do this. I'm yeah. sorry. And then you deal with a producer or someone that's like, can we move it? And I'm just like. I'm going to fucking murder you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to fucking murder you because I have to go back to my guys. Right. Who I work with all the time. And all right. Yeah. Okay. I'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's why having good grease so, so great. Because you're not, your first decision isn't always the right one, unfortunately. But I think that another good lesson is like when you're wrong, admitting it and not trying to dance around. Well, you know, now that I think about it, um, mm-hmm. the director wants it. And just being like, I fucked up. It's not looking good there. We got to do this. And just, you know, having a team that's like, all right, you know, mm-hmm. obviously that can't happen with every decision you're making. But <laughs> when it does happen, I think just, you know, owning up to it. <laughs> do you like uh, working with your crew? I do. Yeah. I have um, a really great set of go-tos that a lot of them from Chapman um, and we've just come up together. And um, yeah, I think it's, 
it's so important to have people you trust and like people who have your back too and know your style like can go to village and be like oh she's not gonna like that like before you even get there Mm -hmm. and you know walk it in hey we need to do this or whatever Mm -hmm. it saves time so Mm -hmm. yeah that's really great i'm chewing again (laughs) i'm eating more than you are i know because i keep thinking Mm -hmm. as soon as i'm gonna start talking it's gonna be the asm thing i'm not gonna put you (laughs) on the spot you can sit here and eat it's totally fine the audience can wait and listen while I go get more wine out of the fridge. Amazing. Um, Some ASM pear and cheese chewing in between then. Do it. Do it. <laughs> you want some more white wine? Yes, please. Okay. I'm so happy it's not red wine because I'm not a red wine person. I do both. Yeah. But today it's really hot outside. And that's why I texted you next. I was happy to get that text. <laughs> well, it's always a weird thing to get a call from a stranger and it's like, come over to my house. <laughs> I'm going to do a podcast here at my house. Yeah, I definitely did some, some research before <laughs> being like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I was um, like, is this a real podcast? <laughs> yeah. I spent a lot of money making it look like it is. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. Come to my van in this parking yeah. lot. I have microphones set Let's up. Let's talk about film. <laughs> mm. So, yeah. So, who do you think is the most... And this is a probably controversial question. Mm-hmm. Who do you think is the most important person on your crew? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, God. Okay, well... You can be democratic about it. It's fine. I think that... Oh, I mean, that's a tough one because, like, I'm going to, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say, I'm, like, hesitating. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to answer if you don't want. No, I'm going to, I'm going to say the gaffer. Mm-hmm. Probably, you know, no surprise there. But I think that having someone who I can tell this is, like, you know, I'm not always going to know the right setup to achieve a certain look or, right. like, what type of light no, I have an idea, but I think having that person that's like, no, 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 like, let's use this light instead um, is so important. But then again, like, if I have a camera operator who's terrible, mm-hmm. that's, you know, that that's not going to work either. So it takes a village. Um, key grip is super important too, but I feel like it's, I don't want to say easier to shape plate, but I feel like I could be like, hey, like that light needs a bottomer or whatever, like cut it off that wall. And that that's not super hard to achieve. Right, 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 right. Um, whereas like, unless you start getting into, you know, Hey, I need to put this crane on this fucking yeah, dock. Is yeah. there enough weight? Get, like this is done to support true, that shit. True. It depends on the, the size of the project. 100%. You start looking at Michael Bay's key grip. And that yeah. Like oh my an, God. An engineer at that point. There was, I had a, <laughs> I had a commercial where, I was like, I need a 40 by 40 softbox. And this is what I need because we had to light five cars. And that was definitely not something where I was like, oh, anybody could do this. It's like, how do you lift that in the air? I have no idea, but I'm glad this guy does, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Which is interesting because you need something that big for cars because cars are all reflective. Yeah. And all you're seeing in that car is the light. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the director was like, yeah, um, we're doing a car commercial. I was like, okay, I'd done one before. And then he's like, there's going to be five cars. And I was like, that is literally five giant mirrors 
mm-hmm. how do you do this? And it wasn't, I wasn't trying to like flex by being like, we need a 40 by 40 softbox. Like it was just truly, there was no other way to light that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're going to see everything in it. Mm-hmm. So if it isn't a big box that looks good mm-hmm. and that you can see in that car, it's like the units that are sticking in that fucking car. Exactly. Hot spots that are in that car. I called the rag place. I was like, I need a 40 by 40 magic cloth. And they're like, calm down. Like that's okay. We can do that for you. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen car commercials before? Yeah. <laughs> they're like, that's fine. I was like, okay, great. <laughs> mm. So, Speaking of commercials, mm-hmm. um, what do you prefer to do? Do you prefer to do narrative? Do you prefer to do commercials? Oh, narrative. Oh. Narrative, narrative, narrative. Commercials are a good way to pay the bills, I think. Um, and they can be fun, but a lot of times with commercials, I feel like it's more just lighting universally and high key, which is not my style, I would say. Mm-hmm. Not super high key. Um so they're fun, but yeah, I think um, narrative is definitely where I want to end up for sure. When you say high key, explain that to people. High key is, um, it's basically kind of like what most commercials look like. It's having light, um, not a not a big contrast ratio. So um, I'm trying to figure out how to explain this in layman's terms. It's basically just like a lot of light, a flatter looking um, set that's, not super contrasty in its light to shadow ratio. Right. It's also the directional light, correct? Right. Yeah. So like when you see like a, re- a lot of really good narrative stuff, uh, I think Fincher has been like a huge influence on a mm-hmm. lot of the looks right now, mm-hmm. which is essentially, and a lot of uh, shooters like to do this, they like to light back first. Mm-hmm. They like to light from the background and then try maybe to have a little bit of bounce ambience and a little bit of bounce fill. Mm-hmm. And commercials are all like, I got a warehouse full of these fucking toaster ovens, so make sure this toaster oven is the brightest thing on set. Yeah, exactly. And really, really harsh backlights. It's like, ooh. (laughs) (laughs) We want it to look like there's a setting California sun in every one of these shots. Yeah, Yeah. I just had to do that, actually. Um, Yeah, that was crazy. Another crazy day. I feel like sets are getting faster and faster paced. Like, there's... There's no time anymore. Like, it's like we owe this amount of content in, you know, a 12-hour day. So it's like, it's crazy. It's nuts. Mm -hmm. It's really nuts. And it just comes down to, I don't know. This is a longer conversation. (laughs) But being a director that works in the commercial world uh, and being a producer that has produced stuff in the commercial world and then being on the phones with the ad agencies as they talk to the clients Mm -hmm. and the lack of balls that most ad agencies have right now. Oh, yeah. Because the ad agencies are going extinct because everything's becoming boutique mm-hmm. right now. So we're in this weird place where the clients understand this and the clients are just like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. This is the budget I got for you. Yeah. And they can find it too. Like it's, people yeah. will do it for such low budget. Same with music videos. Like, oh, that's, music why, vi- that's why I got out of music videos. Yeah. It's, yeah, that's a whole nother topic too. But mm-hmm. music videos used to have these massive budgets and now it's like, well, I can find some students that'll do it for nothing. It's like, you see how that looks like. <laughs> Dude, I started doing videos back probably 12 years ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. And when I got into it, I was still lucky enough that MTV still existed and I was still doing a lot of heavy metal videos. Nice. So I had videos <laughs> on like Headbangers Ball and stuff, which nice. was super cool. 
but we were getting into the market like right when like Mark Romanek was was getting out, uh, all like these really great directors, and we had talked to a few of them, and they're just like, I don't know how you're doing this. Mm-hmm. And it, that's he's like the director was like, you're literally taking on a budget that is usually my take mm-hmm. from yeah. the video, and at that time that was like twenty grand, twenty five, thirty five thousand, forty five thousand dollars, right? And you're just like, holy shit! And you talk to some of these guys, and it's like. The Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson video was what, two million? Yeah, that's crazy. Two crazy. Million. And as a director, you're just like, yeah. You yeah. Know? You're making a fucking good <laughs> bank at that point. Yeah. You do two videos a year and you're just like sick. You're just set. Set. <laughs> yeah. Like, and that was when it was a career. Um, I still think that a big portion of it is that people stop buying CDs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You know, and if. It, that was such an easy revenue stream for those labels mm-hmm. that as soon as the labels had no revenue stream for it, they're like, why the fuck am I paying for this video? And right. then the bands were like, why the fuck am I paying for this video? And it's mm-hmm. like, well, this video is actually an advertisement for your fucking tour. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So why don't you pony up for this thing? Well, mm-hmm. no band's ever had to do that before. And yeah, it's, it's tough. The best videos out there are the videos um, from the acts that basically have their own in-house like um, PR companies like Lady Gaga mm-hmm. or like Beyonce or and these places that totally. understand the fucking power. Yeah. Well, because it's true. You've, you know, you fall in love with this music. Like I remember seeing music videos for pop artists and just like being like, I just want to, I want to be like that like making up dances you know like music videos change mm-hmm. the way you think about an artist 100 percent there's so many musicians that i love that i wouldn't have given a shit about if i hadn't seen their music video totally totally yeah it's it's changed for sure there's also like kind of this i feel like thing going on where it's it's a style of music video that like a lot obviously 16 mils coming back in a huge way but it's like this style of like let's I gotta be careful when I'm talking about this let's just go let's just go out and shoot something no crew no lights whatever uh-huh. and it's gonna be sick yeah right and it's like yeah it turns out well sometimes but I think they're yeah I don't know that's kind of a, a thing right now that's going on I'll jump off that cliff further than you yeah so, please do <laughs> So it's Gina and I talk about this all the time because this also happens in the fashion world. So mm. like if you look at a lot of fashion campaigns right now, it's just like out on the street, girl yeah. doing this weird yeah, 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 fucking yeah. pose. Totally. Daylight, boom. And even in product shit where everybody was like, daylight, find a window, shoot next to a window. That's bullshit. It's literally a style that has to be done because they're not paying for you to do something better. Right, right. That's it. And if you're going to do something that is sculpted, it takes fucking time. Mm-hmm. And it takes gear. It takes that energy to do it. And it's beautiful. And when you do something that's sculpted, um, people look at it and go, oh, my God, this is so fucking amazing. Right. But no one's buying magazines anymore. No one's Except buying- for me and my American Cinematographer <laughs> subscription. <laughs> Which is interesting. <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to trash that magazine, but I had a subscription to that magazine for so long, and it would start to get nerdy. Yeah, and then it and then it's just like, oh, and then this is what we did on set, and then that was it. And I'm like, how the fuck did you put that light up there? Like, yeah, that's what I want to know. It doesn't go super that. in depth, that's for sure. Yeah, um, I interrupted. Sorry, that's fine. It's good. It's all good. <laughs> Nobody's buying magazines. You're no one's buying magazines. I, I sound like such an old dude. I'm on the fucking porch, and I'm just like these kids. <laughs> 
these kids have no idea what they're giving away for free. Um, it's it, it's crazy, man. And I agree with you. Music videos for us and for me, when I was a director of them more frequently, now I only do a video if I like the band. Yeah. Honestly, because yeah. it's like, it, it gets it's me... Exhausting. It gets me fucking nothing. Mm -hmm. As a director, it's zero. Mm -hmm. Like walking into studios and pitching films right now, music videos is actually detrimental. Like mm -hmm. I actually sat in a room with a producer and he goes... Uh, this movie feels a little too much like a music video. And I was like, I'm going to jump over this fucking table and strangle you to death. I'm going to strangle you to death. So it, it doesn't help you as a director. Um, it's not like you can get a big film off of a music video. Right. And then nowadays, they don't even give you the fucking credit. Yeah. So you don't yeah. even get the credit of it. And it's mm -hmm. just like this video cost five grand. Mm -hmm. which meant that I worked for three weeks for less than someone makes at McDonald's. That's yeah. literally what I did. Mm-hmm. And what am I getting out of this fucking deal? Yeah. I get some pretty pictures, but then even the audience is still processing these things on their phone. And they're just like, cool. And half the time, they're just like, I just want to play it on YouTube and listen right. to it. Right. Because I don't want to pay for a Spotify subscription. Yeah, exactly. I think it's, that's, it's extremely hard for directors. DPs, it's a little different because like if you shoot something that looks really good. It's, you get the real. Totally. Totally. Um, it's a but, different place. Yeah, not not like that for directors. It's so rough. And even DPs, to a certain extent, it, it kind of is. The um, the bar has been raised so high mm -hmm. right now because mm -hmm. everything looks great. Mm -hmm. Everything looks great. Do you yeah. ever feel that stress when you're on set? Oh my god, yeah. Um, you know, you you scroll through Instagram and see these incredible stills, just back to back to back to back. And I think that's something that social media I mean it's cool because it's a platform for your work I wouldn't be here if it weren't for Instagram for instance but you literally wouldn't be here today uh, yeah I would not yeah that's what it meant I wouldn't yeah. be in this kitchen eating pears <laughs> um <laughs> no uh but it's so stressful because all day you're just comparing yourself like to other people and how can I do that or what if you know my style isn't uh, what's popular right now, you know, and it's, it's hard and color is a whole nother thing. Like the color grading process, a lot of times for music videos, like uh, all of a sudden the video will be out and I'm like, wait, you, did you not color this? And they're like, mm -hmm. oh, the editor did it. It's like, okay, whoa, like that's, it just feels like a complete violation of your work. Mm -hmm. um, Completely. But, that's like being a chef in a kitchen. And then someone plates it and gives it to the audience. Right, right. And you're just like, why'd you put that on a fucking paper plate, man? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're it's, killing me. It's insane. It's really, really hard. Um, I, yeah, I, I got to the point where I was like, I will color this for free before you release this. Like, please just let me color it and don't let your, you know, editor try to color this in Premiere. Please, please, please. But it's like a budget thing, you know? They're like, oh, it looks great. What are you talking about? Like, and it's like, yeah, but some some uh, liberties will be taken that i you know don't necessarily agree with if it's colored in premiere <laughs> <laughs> do you do you shoot with lots or do you apply lots or anything like that i do i mean i i shoot with usually rec 709 just to be safe because sometimes in this i only know this from experience shooting with the viewing let that isn't you know if you have like a, an insane dit and colorist who work with you beforehand that's different but if you're shooting with a viewing let that's um, kind of like roughly designed, like, and you start making 
lighting decisions off of that that can get you know messy Mm -hmm. so i usually just shoot with rec 7 and 9 but almost none of my work is is uh you know from the rec 709 look it's a lot of time is it's um the kodak lets that resolve has like start there as a base and Mm -hmm. work off of that but Mm -hmm. it's a style choice i guess depends it's tough one of the things i like about uh the alexas is that when you import that stuff into Premiere, it actually temporarily puts the LUTs on it. Mm -hmm. Because I think uh, what happens, even as a director, what happens is you're looking at that footage for so long in the editor. You get used to it. You get used to it. It's dangerous. Mm -hmm. And there's something really nice about at least having uh, a grading LUT that's on it. Or Mm -hmm. or like a basic LUT. Because then they look at the raw and they go, ooh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Like... I've had people say, like, we think it looks good without a LUT. Like, because they got so, like, they don't know what what they're doing. And they just get so used to this raw footage. And then you put a LUT on it and it looks too saturated and contrasty. But it's like, no, no, no. Like, take a a break. Like, give your eyes a break and revisit this. Because that is not what you guys want, I promise Mm -hmm. you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And there's something really great. Like, I've had... um I've had dudes from Company 3 and a bunch of other places on the show, and I've been lucky enough to go, like, 12 cam, we actually got graded in a theater. Yeah. Like, I actually got to sit in a theater and grade That's the best. I've only done that once, but it was Oh, so cool. Yeah. And being able to sit in one of those spaces where you're basically basically on, like, the deck of, like, a ship, and there's, like, a little guy down (laughs) at the bottom, and you're looking at the screen. Someone's like, can I take your lunch order? Yeah. And you're like, uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> totally man yeah um but in that magical moment it's it's like the wash that goes over your stuff like if you, my dad does a lot of collage work he's a painter so mm-hmm. he'll do like a lot mm-hmm. of collage work and cut things out of magazines start putting it together and then he'll do like a varnished tinted varnished wash that just sort of goes over the piece and makes it glossy and starts to tie in all the colors start to tie in all that stuff and that's what i try to explain to people is that Color grading is like the final wash. Mm-hmm. It is like the thing that irons out all those wrinkles. Mm-hmm. It, it it helps immerse you. And what it should do, it isn't about like having that beautiful, shiny object. Right. It's about just slowly chipping away at every little reason not to believe in the project. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You no, know? it's true. And I think it's tough because, especially if you know a little bit about Da Vinci and its capabilities, like you get in a jam on set and you know that it can be fixed later. And it's like, Oh God, like back, you know, you know, 10 years ago, they couldn't do this. And now you're able to, but, and I think it's important not to do that as much as possible. But, um, I met with a director before this and we were talking about how can we simulate blue hour for, you know, the three hours we're going to need to on set. Mm -hmm. Um, and, as much as I want to be like, oh, I can light that, a lot of it's going to come in the color grade for sure. And I explained that like, um, yeah, we're just going to have to achieve this in color because that's a huge task to create blue hour for three hours. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. not easy. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not at all. And then the thing that's really interesting is that when you start to look at the dynamics of a production, whether it's a commercial production or a film production, you're starting to deal with producers and you're starting to deal mm-hmm. with directors and then you're dealing with a DP. And a lot of times I think there's been a lot of DPs that have come before us that have the sort of stigma of like, I'm an artist. Yeah. 
and this is what I do. Yeah. And don't question, especially old film DPs. Mm-hmm. Where she's like, don't, oh, yeah. don't question my shit. Because well, nobody else could see what they were even seeing. Exactly. Like exactly. there was no video village. It was like the camera and them and that's it. And I can't even imagine what that would have been like. I mean, the amount of stress on you. Oh, my DP, God. Yeah. Just being like, uh, and then how much, how important it is to become friends with whoever's doing your process. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, but I, there's a stigma that has sort of traveled with that that still resonates with producers. Mm-hmm. And I think producers sort of sit there and they're just like, and so like if when a DP is like, I want these lenses or I want this shit mm-hmm. and it starts to cost money and it's like, we need to have a dolly and a slider. We mm-hmm. need to have this and that. And the producers are just like, <laughs> and you just hear like the line <laughs> producers breathing in. And I think, and I've seen this before. I've seen a lot of producers just be spiteful in the post end of it mm-hmm. where they're yeah. just like, you've got it in the can. Go fuck yourself. Right, right. You know, like, mm-hmm. we'll take care of the grading. We'll take care of all that stuff. Yeah. And they just walk and the way. And it's terrible. It's, it's, I feel like I need to have a contract that's like, do not color <laughs> without me. I'm not even kidding. Like, that's not a bad idea because the amount of stuff I've had released where they're like, yeah, you, you know, like I was saying, we had our editor color it. It looks great. It's like, no, 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 you know? But you could they probably kn- put that in a contract. Yeah, I mean, it's not a bad idea. Because, like, they know that if I do get involved, it's going to take more time and I'm going to have an opinion about stuff, of course, you know? So I think just cut out the DP and you don't have to worry about that for post. And it's a shame, really. It's awful. Yeah, I think the trick is there's a blend of it. And I think that... And you seem to be a very um, uh, inclusive, sort of cooperative DP in understanding <laughs> the scenario. I think it's just about getting rid of that drama queen bullshit that right. exists where it's just like, this, this is my art. This is blah. Yeah. And, and I think people can understand when a DP is like, I need this for my reel. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, the mistake that is translated in this work. And it took me a while being a DP myself to find someone that I trusted. And it took me a while to trust someone like Kruda to come in and shoot for mm-hmm. me because I had worked with other DPs in the past. And it's just like, dude, get out of your own fucking way. Because right. what you're doing is you're fucking up the entire edit. You're fucking up mm-hmm. all of this stuff. Yeah. And what you're so focused on is the minutia of your craft mm-hmm. that you're not actually examining how it fits into everything else that's, that's happening. Totally. And there's a, I don't think that exists as much anymore, um, but there was a generation of DPs that were fighting the system. I, yeah, I mean, I think that, well, at least when I was in school, the DP was, like, the the cool guy on set that would, like, they were just, like, the cool person that was, I don't, I mean. It's probably because you were in love with <laughs> DP. And no, no, <laughs> no, that, I was intimidated by it because I was, like, how do I fit into this world but maybe yeah i mean i guess it was just the way i was looking at dps like wow they're so cool but um (laughs) no but there was definitely a thing with like this group of guys that were like the cool dps and um yeah i don't i don't know a lot a lot of times dps i find can get so into like look how sick this fucking thing i shot is and it's like yeah it doesn't communicate the feeling of like whatever you were shooting at all right looks great but Cool, you used the dolly. Mm-hmm. Cool, you used the movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you're yeah. just like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It should be like, look how cool this movie is. Right, right, exactly. The second you're calling attention to your work without it being motivated is where you're going wrong, I think. 
Like if you're doing something cool, great, but is it motivated? You know, like mm-hmm. I'm not going to do this crazy lighting setup for something that should be, you know, muted and quiet. And, you know, if that's the feeling, don't, don't go and outdo yourself just because you want a big setup, you know? Exactly. And that's interesting too, because, um, and I've talked about this before, whenever you're doing a project, it's always this interesting marriage between the DP and the, and the director. Mm-hmm. It has to be, uh, if it works, it has to be this sort of symbiotic either marriage, like husband-wife vibe, Mm -hmm. or it's like best friend kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you find, what is your process for looking for directors? Yeah, I think, um, I, I think we were talking about this earlier. Like, I just love to meet the person beforehand because somehow there's this thing where it's like you do a phone call and you're booked and that's it, but... I think it's so important to meet the person beforehand because if you guys don't, from the get-go, if you're not seeing eye-to-eye or even able to communicate or hold up a conversation, how are you going to do that with a story on set? Like, you're not, and Mm -hmm. it's not going to go well. So I think it's just meeting the person beforehand and just kind of making sure you're on the same wavelength. And, like, can I, as a DP, you know, communicate this vision because that's most important you know I think the director's vision you know getting that across is is everything so if I feel like hey you know I had a I had a script sent to me recently and I read it over and I just knew that I wasn't the right person for it stylistically I just knew that I, I wasn't and I had to tell him that and he was like you don't know how much I appreciate that because people you know will say yeah I'll do it like this sounds great and kind of just blow smoke up your ass but it's like no like can am I the right person for this and vice versa you know so I think it's just kind of finding that connection and if it's there great and if not you know just saying I'm not the right person for this do you have directors that you work with regularly yeah yeah I have some great friends that I've made and um that's always the best because I'm I'm sure you know you just get on this wavelength and you don't even really have to say much Mm -hmm. and it's like what if we, and then you just like, you know what the person's going to say mm-hmm. and you just know, and it's, that's the best. It's the same thing with that, like finding actors that you like to work with. Totally. It's, it's the same deal where, um, especially on set because I'm, I'm kind of an idiot, you know, <laughs> my, my schooling is very limited. And so there hits points, especially with the lack of sleep where I can't formulate sentences mm-hmm, and I, have, mm-hmm. I lose that ability. Multiple night shoots in a row, you're, I'm like, what? I don't, I can't talk. <laughs> yeah. And so like, I'll just look at someone and just put, and then just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they run over and they do it. And it it's is like, perfect. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. And they're like, he's such a great director. I'm like, all I did was raise my hand. I literally just <laughs> grunted a little bit. <laughs> totally. Uh, but I, 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 I don't know if you feel the same way, but I love this business. Oh, me too. I mean. Yeah, I, I love it so much. I I hate it a lot of times, but I love it more than anything. And I trip out that like I'm a like I'm a DP and that's how I make a living. Like I'm, I'm like what? You know? <laughs> it's like that is this is a dream come true. It's so and it's so cool because I like going to work and most of my friends can't say that. It's it's really cool. Mhm. And we they beat the shit out of us. Yeah. Oh my God, yeah. And we still like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, please, please, can I come and work for 15 hours? Yeah, yeah. please. Please. But that's the thing is like, you're at, you know, going OT, but you just want to get the shot. You want it, you know? It's mm-hmm. like, I'll do it. I'll do whatever. <laughs> what's your What's your favorite moment on set? 
favorite moment on set? Um, I think, oh God, I'm sure I'll, this will all be over and I'll have a better moment, but what's <laughs> coming to mind right now is um, it was just a short film and the actress, um, we were just doing a blocking rehearsal and she sat down and um, in the space and I was kind of looking at the space and like, okay, I had a general idea of how I wanted to light it. But she sat down and like there was this little patch of sunlight that was there naturally. Mm-hmm. And um, the moment she had there, like it was just this perfect moment. And I, I needed more light. Like we weren't getting enough naturally. But all I did was just simulate that light further with my own lighting. And to see her like lift her face up and feel that little patch of light. And then she started crying. And it, the, it was just like the director and I were like, oh, my God like this is perfect like this is cinema in its truest form you know this moment being communicated her feeling that light in the moment with the story it was just I have the chills talking about it it was just like incredible you know it's like little moments like that where you feel like you did your job as best you could you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it worked and it created that emotion not only for viewers but for the actress you know it was just it was it was so it was great (laughs) it it sounds absolutely beautiful yeah it gives me chills just hearing you say yeah ah it's the best it's the best and then yeah and it's like you just chase that feeling all the time and um i think those moments are rare when everything kind of comes together like that Mm -hmm. perfectly but um yeah, I mean, that's what I chase. That's what I just I just want all the time. <laughs> it just seems to me like, you know, we watch these movies and we're, we're enthralled by these movies and we have like this sort of magic. Like I watch Blade Runner and I'm like, I want to be there. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like and yeah. you're just like, I want to be in that space. Totally. And when you have moments like that, it's like for a fraction of a fucking second, mm-hmm. you are just like, I'm there. You're there, yeah. Like we're literally there. It's crazy that cinema can it sounds so cheesy but transport you to another time and place like that even if it is especially for filmmakers even if it is only for a few seconds or a minute or whatever because you know you watch movies and you're like oh i wonder where they put that light and you know like it's (laughs) so when you do get those moments it's magical yeah yeah (laughs) and it's such a weird it's a weird fucking world yeah it really is yeah i love it man yeah it's amazing (laughs) I love it. This has been a really great conversation. Where are we at? We're doing good. Okay, we're doing good. Um, take a moment. Have some something to eat. Relax. Have a pear. Have a pear. I've been eating all the pears. Eat them up. Um, let's see. Do you have any questions for me? Um, what do you do? You like narrative or commercial? Mm. Narrative, of course. Yeah. I don't know many people. I don't know many people that are like commercial is life, unless they just like the money, which I guess is a thing. Yeah, sure. If you want to be <laughs> blowing coke all day and getting your, your yeah. BMW, but um, I don't know. Like I've talked about this before. Commercial and narrative are two different directing st- styles. Mm-hmm. Narrative, it's all about being like innovative and like coming up with this really cool idea and something that's new and trying to, you know. Figure out how to get your team to create this world to have those moments that you just talked about. Right, right. Commercial's not that. Commercial is uh, there's a whole there's a whole creative team of people that have already designed the shots, that have already done all the storyboarding. Mm-hmm. They've literally done the entire fucking commercial on paper right. before you get there. 
and they just don't have the clout or they they don't want to have the they don't want to have to answer for it. Mm-hmm. So then, it, like like any sort of American business move, hire a director. Yeah. And then the director shows up, and and the 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 mistake I made early on in my career was I would be in the mindset of like they saw my work, mm-hmm. they love my work, they want me to come in here, they want me to make this my work. Mm-mm. No. <laughs> and then you start you slowly start to learn that. My job as a director on a commercial set is to make sure that the crew understands what's being translated to them. Right. But necessarily that's not my gig. That's like the assistant director or anybody else. Mm -hmm. But my job mostly is just being a people person Mm -hmm. and actually spending time and and allowing the creatives to feel like that the decisions (laughs) they're making are the right decisions. Yeah, this is so amazing. Yeah, it's a lot of like... It's a lot of that. Yeah. And I've told this story on the show before, but... When I was doing the Sam Adams spot, I, I hate, I fucking hate Video Village. <laughs> and I'm sure you do. It's too. so stressful. It's stressful and it's a lot of just like, oh my God, like this is so great. Uh, and it's the fakest, that's the, that's the fake voice yep. that you were just doing yeah. there. The, oh, and they go and they hug each other yeah. kind of thing. Um, Let's take a picture. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and meanwhile, they're just like, that's so great. Yeah, and they're yeah, on their yeah, fucking yeah. computer. But the problem that I've always had with Video Village is that it's a live feed that's going there all the time. Yeah. And so these, there's a whole group of people that generally work for these, these companies. Watch, Mike never gets hired again. Uh, generally <laughs> work for these... Like, what do I say? What do I not say? <laughs> generally work for these companies that need to make sure that they're constantly reaffirming, reaffirming their paycheck. Right. So you have those people that are sitting yeah, there that are the just worst. like chiming in. They're like... I actually think that the chopsticks should be smaller and skinnier. <laughs> and then the boss is like, do you? And they're like, well, yeah, I think the demographic says, and the boss is like, yeah. And you're just like, no, no one gives a fuck about yeah, that. Yeah, literally no one cares at all. You just needed something to say or else it looks like you're not doing anything. Exactly. Yeah. And that's like a majority of what happens at that tent. And in the beginning in my career, I was just very against that. Mm-hmm. And I was very much like, you're an asshole. Like it, that was my move where it's just like, your, your fucking job is useless. And, and then I just wasn't getting hired yeah. because I was that asshole that was doing that. And I just realized that these people just need to feel included. Yeah. And so when we were doing that Sam Adams shoot, um, they're staring at the monitor the whole time and people need time to set shit up. Right. Like the food stylist needs to be able to put the lime in 50 fucking places right. before they find the perfect spot. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting there and they're just in the background going and they just come over and they'd be like, uh, we, we think that... And they're it's just, not ready yet. It's, it's not ready it's yet. It's not even ready for you to look at. I won't even turn... I have my ACs have the tear deck off until smart. we're ready. Fucking because smart. I cannot stand when it's like, it's not bright enough. It's like none of our lights are on yet. Like just... <sighs> it kills me so much. And on this shoot, I wasn't able to do that. So on this shoot, I just, I took my time. I talked to the crew and I said, you guys know what's up? And they went, yeah, leave us alone. They go, great, cool. Yeah. And I walk away mm-hmm. and I sat down with them at Video Village and I went, you guys are in a really exciting place because you get to watch artists find it. <laughs> and so what we should do is examine, watch them find it. Wow. And then what's going to happen is that right before we go, I'm going to give you the opportunity to decide that that fucking line needs to turn like three degrees to the left <laughs> and then we'll do that before we roll that's smart but let's actually watch them find it and discover it because <laughs> that's really smart they don't have the they don't have all the answers and 
it was really good. It was inclusive and the creators were with me and they were like, wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. And I was able to sit there as a director and go, well, what they're going to do now is they're going to bring over silk and watch what they do with the silk and watch how that works. And they drop it in and they're like, oh, wow, that's super cool. And it's like, it becomes fun for them to watch. Yeah, that's smart. That was my job. Yeah. Yeah, commercials are weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'm so, they can be fun, but um, most of the time it's just like you just feel like you're a robot or whatever. At least I do. It's like I have no, they say make it brighter and there's no being like, oh, but the story, you know, there's not really a lot of times it's just you're selling a product. So it's like, yeah, make it brighter, I guess. I got a warehouse full of this shit. Yeah. There's a guy in the back door. I don't fucking care. (laughs) And you're like, oh, God damn it. Yeah. Are we going into overtime yet? Let's take three times as long. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's tough. I mean, it's it's that connection of art and commerce, and mm-hmm. it's everywhere, man. It's in movies too. It's the yeah. it's that game of like you know I'm dealing with it as a director right now with the movies where it's like everything needs to be identifiable, everything needs to be right. relatable. It's great. Yeah, it's it's. I feel like now too, everybody's nervous that someone's gonna get offended, like with Joker. How we were talking about that was a huge thing, and. Mm-hmm. It's a very touchy area now, for mm-hmm, sure. Mm-hmm. And then our industry's changed so much because of streaming services and because people don't necessarily have to get up and leave. And then, you know, movies aren't fucking cheap. Mm-hmm. It was like $15 a pop to go see Joker. The yeah, night. yeah. And Crazy. you're just like, why is mm-hmm. it $15? <laughs> this should be a fucking $8 matinee. I know, it's like, crazy. It's insanity. And... And I'll, I'll spend that money if I go to like one of the Dolby cinemas where right. it's just like, this is a fucking roller coaster. This is an experience. Right. And yeah. it's like, cool. Yeah, 20 bucks. Yeah. Yes. But like to go see a movie like Joker and, and it's, I highly, and I've said this before, I highly suggest you see it in the cinema because. You have to. The experience, those close-ups, that atmosphere. You have to see it in a theater. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's so much more beautiful than it will be on your fucking phone. Yeah. Because you don't have the time you don't have the ability to stop the dread mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. tone that they build in you that can't, movie. Yeah, you can look away, but you're still going to hear. You're going to be surrounded by the sound. Like you're going to mm-hmm. feel uncomfortable at times, and that's the best part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you seen um, Parasite? Which one's Parasite? Parasite. It it won can and um, it was the same director who did this movie called Oakjaw that made me cry my fucking eyes out. It's about. Anyway, I haven't um, seen either one. Parasite's great. Um, it's it's a foreign film, but um, it was really good. What else did I just see that I liked? Um, what else? What? Um, it, it was another foreign film that. I, oh, Monos. Have you seen Monos? I've seen the trailers for it. It was incredible. It. Is it awesome? It's really good. I'm excited about it. Yeah. We just did the move, so I'm trying to catch. Like, totally. Yeah. You guys are swamped with moving. That's such a thing. We're in now. Yeah. But, but like when we moved, I'm like, wow, there's like fucking three series on Netflix. Like I just finished <laughs> watching the new Mindhunters. Uh, oh, I finished it season. too recently. Oh, so good. So good. So, so good. good. The thing I love about that show is, especially the episodes that Fincher directs, mm-hmm. he is the, the master at conversations. Yeah. That whole show is just people talking. It's just people talking, which is so hard to do successfully and not just bore the shit out of people. And he does it so well. Oh, my God. And just in the middle of a conversation that is like, how many fucking pages? Like nine, ten pages for like one conversation? And in the middle of it, he just 
changes an angle. Right. Someone walks over to a counter and you're mm-hmm. like, this is a whole new scene. Yeah. Yeah. It's He's insane. so good. He's so good. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to do that, especially now with everybody like five second attention span mm-hmm. yeah he's he's incredible it's really cool yeah and that's interesting too uh how are we doing on time how are you doing on time you okay i uh them no you how are you doing i'm fine okay i'm just checking yeah you. i'm good i'm great i hope they're okay out there <laughs> i love how that question you were just suddenly like the spotlight turned on you like me like no you me? were fucking kind it's four three. i don't know you thought you were like asking like as a joke like how are you doing out there waiting for the audience yeah. to come back this is really boring yeah all right cool. we'll eat more yeah i'm gonna eat so blocking oh god coverage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. blocking and coverage mm-hmm like, uh, we never really talk about that whenever I have a DP on the show because it's always sexy lighting and lenses totally. and shit. But, like, coverage. Yeah. It's, um, it changes every project. But I think, like, for the last series I did, um, it was just that. It was coverage. It wasn't, it was just coverage. Like, it wasn't, how do you frame this person? You know, it was, we mm-hmm. had, it was two cameras. I had two operators that were great. Um, but <laughs> because we were shooting nine by 16, B cam was getting two singles at once. So we were framed 16 by nine. Oh, wacky. Yeah. Insane. So we were watching three shots basically at once. We had a single on one person and then two singles being shot with B camera. Cause ultimately you're just going to crop that 16 by nine for each exactly. one of the shots. Fucking wacky. Exactly. And so there is no like... You know, the actors can only move so much when you're doing that. Your lights can only be in so many places when you're getting three people's coverage at once, cross coverage. My gaffer and I were dying because they were like, cross coverage, cross coverage. And sure, that's efficient timing wise, but lighting wise, you're always going to have sacrifices if you're shooting cross coverage in a small space. Yeah, because where do you put the fucking stand? Yeah, Yeah, you can't. You just have to light and make sure people are exposed and try to make it look good if you can. We were shooting in these tiny, tiny rooms. So it was really, really rough. But um, yeah, I think um, I think it's important to have blocking and just go from there. You know, that's the ideal situation. So you see where the, the actors feel like they should go. Mm-hmm. And I think as soon as you start saying, no, you can't go there because whatever, like that's when you're going to kind of get in like a sticky situation. Of course, there's times where it's like, we physically can't light you over there. Like you have to stay in this area, of course. But I think just seeing where they go and feel like they should move, that's so important to consider because what actors do, it's, I can't, I don't know how they do it. (laughs) I'm right right there with you. Yeah. And uh, that's back to that, the initial thing that everybody should think about is block light shoot. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. If you, if I'm, you know, shooting a narrative that's not doing that, it's like, no you can't you can't because then you light and the actors like completely steps out of their key and everybody's like why are they so dark over there it's like because we didn't block light shoot like we just lit and shot (laughs) yeah and then what do you want me to light the whole fucking yeah yeah exactly so it's you have to block it's so 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 important and the more that you see that and it's it's nice that we're talking about this as far as the series of stuff is concerned because I'm seeing it all through any series shows mm-hmm. where, uh, with the exception of something like, you know, Mindhunter, 
Right. Where Fincher's just like, fuck off. I'm going to yeah. do 120 <laughs> takes. You know what I mean? Can you not wait till you get to that point one oh day, hopefully? Uh. I, just to get to the point, I don't even want to be... <laughs> Careful. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't want to... Like, Cruda was making fun of me when I was doing... Um, when I was doing... Um, I think it was Who's There when we were shooting that and we're there and I had to do like eight takes. Yeah. And, and he would just be behind the camera and he's like, all right, Fincher. And he started <laughs> saying that shit to me. And I'm like, dude, I'm just trying to get it. Yeah. He's like, all right, dude. Um, yeah. I don't necessarily feel like I want to be that guy that shoots a hundred and something takes, but I would just like to be in that position where people understand and, and trust the craft enough right. to right. be like, do what you got to do, Michael. Here's the amount of time you have to do it in, mm-hmm. but do what you got to do. Yeah. And, and but just trust, it comes down to trust, like just yeah. trusting that if you say you need another take, it's for a reason and not just because you're like, fuck it, I need another, I want another one. It's like, no, you, you need it. Mm-hmm. You, you haven't nailed that performance that you want yet. Mm-hmm. Um, have you spent much time in the edit room? Um, I kind of, I did, you know, at, at Chapman, we, we had to take editing sound you have to take every every uh department like your 101 class so i did some editing and i hated it um (laughs) i just like being in a room by myself i was like this is not what i want to do it doesn't mean that i don't respect the craft at all it's insane and i think that having just a base knowledge is extremely important so that you know okay, if I do this, that per- the editor's not going to be able to cut these together. You know, mm-hmm. so you have to know, you have to know the basics and like, how, how is this going to cut together? Otherwise, um, yeah, I mean, you're, you're not going to be a successful DP without it. For narrative, at least, I mean. Even for commercial. Yeah. Like, it, I, once I, I mean, I edit a lot of my own stuff and then there was a period of time where I had other editors editing my stuff, which I enjoy too. Um, but, being in the edit room and be, being in that position where you come off set and you're just like, we fucking killed it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, you're just yeah. like, we have all this amazing footage. And then you get in the edit room and there's this little folder and you open that folder and you're just like, that's all we have. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, wait, what? Wait a minute. I didn't get the, <laughs> God damn it. I didn't get the coverage or I didn't get the cutaway and I didn't get this and that. And I think that's such an important thing to do because you, it, it then comes with you on set. And like uh, when I do my movies, because I've had so much time in the edit room, I'm usually the guy that's there in the beginning going, let's make art. And then right, as we right, start right, to get right, to right. the back end of it, I'm like, all right, so uh, let's cut this in half so that I have three more shots here and I need this and I need this. Yeah. And I know that the shot's only going to be on for about five frames. Mm-hmm. So don't worry about it. Yeah. Just bring in a light, fucking set it up. Mm-hmm. This is a five frame or let's just go from there. Yeah. It's hard because it usually... And, you know, I, I still meet directors that are like, I don't like using the word coverage. And it's like, okay, um, I get it. But it, when we're on set and we only have, you know, an hour left, <laughs> coverage is sometimes what it comes down to. You know, like you have to cover your bases and, and sometimes you got to call it coverage. It's not always just like. Yeah, but if you're smart about it, if you're. All right. So usually you shoot wides first. Yeah. Right. Yes. Same thing with like block light shoot. Mm-hmm. You do wide so that you can see where the light. What, what's going on? Yeah. You see it all. Right. So then if you do your wides, and depending upon what the scene is, excuse me, depending upon what the scene is, 
um, the wide might be the beautiful shot, mm-hmm. right? Or maybe the wide's not the beautiful shot. Maybe it's this extreme close up of the actor that yeah. you, that you're gonna do your nice little soft light. Yeah, that's yep. Yeah, that's where I'm, I get all happy when yeah. it's long lens time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so maybe that's your that maybe that's your beautiful shot. But if you're real slick about it, in my opinion, um, you're setting a style and a tone that is in that wide shot, whether it's the color that you're using mm-hmm. or whether it's the, the atmosphere, if you're using haze, if you're not using haze, if you're mm-hmm. using something like that, that ends up being this aftertaste in the audience's mouth. Right. So they look at it and they go, oh, this is really tasty. And yeah. then all that coverage within that scene, you can focus on that wide being amazing and your super awesome close-up of the dude being amazing. <laughs> but as long as there are some other pieces of that same element in mm-hmm. those other shots, the audience is going to just glaze right through it. Right. They won't even notice. Yeah. Well, that, and that's kind of ideal. You know, you don't want them to be too taken out of it. Um, but then when you're when you're getting down to the end of the day and you're just like, fuck, we're out of time. Yeah. It's just like, just bring in some of that haze yep. and bring in that backlight that you yeah. have and we're good to go. Let's just go. Yeah. And that's always the worst. But like... You know, you get to that point where it's the end of the day and you're like, yeah, this is what we have to do. And it's hard making those calls too, especially like working with a gaffer that really cares. Yeah. And it's like, no, 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 we need to be. And it's like, as a DP, knowing, you know, you have the director and producer, like you, we cannot go OT today, you know? And it's like calling it off and being like, I appreciate it, but we have to shoot this right now. And there's so many like politics that, that mm-hmm. go into being mm-hmm. on set. That's um, being a leader, man. Yeah, it's that decision making was what I wasn't expecting and you know it's something yeah you just have to do you have to do it sometimes sometimes you got to be the bad guy yeah and then but also like the other way around if they if this is the pivotal moment in a film with this character it's super emotional I mean ideally don't say that till the end of the day but say you do and you you have to be like no like there's a time to rush this and there's a time to to take your time with it and this is that moment you know i need these extra minutes to make sure this is perfect smart yeah so yeah i love this shit don't you yeah it's so fun (laughs) it's so fun (laughs) all right i think we've hit a good point here because we're about an hour and change almost an hour and a half into this that was quick it's good, right? This yeah. is your first podcast, huh? Yeah, this is my first podcast. Good one, right? Yeah, it was, it was so fun. Good. <laughs> uh, usually at this point in the show, this is when I allow my guests to uh, bestow some wisdom onto the younger viewers or listeners. Viewers, not yet. Um, <laughs> let's uh, Let me see. What would be a good thing? So as a cinematographer for young cinema... Yeah, young <laughs> cinematographer... Am I a young cinematographer? Not you. Giving oh. advice to a young oh. cinematographer. It's just me just doing a terrible job okay. translating what's in my brain. That's the, the nightmare. You're doing great. I the think nightmare, you're doing great. The nightmare of every director. <laughs> <laughs> and such a good cinematographer sitting there going, I get it. It's so good. You're so great about it. And the director's like, I like working with her. She's really great. Yeah, she's a good one. Um, if you were talking to young cinematographers, mm-hmm. what do you think... At the end of the day, how, hmm, let me think about this real quick, because I want to get, get a good question out of this. No rush. Mm-mm. I still have a little bit of wine left. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think is more important? Do you think having your own personal style is more important? 
Or do you think having the ability to communicate someone else's vision is more important than the cinematographer? Whoa, I was not expecting that. That's a good question. Whoa, okay, well, um, I think that... I would say I lean more towards making sure that the director's vision is communicated um, to his or her intention. Like, if my style is coming in the way of that, I'm not doing my job. And maybe I'm not, you know, the right fit for for the project if I'm putting my own interest before the director's vision. Um, that being said, I think naturally a, a part of your style is going to be communicated in the project no matter what. I don't know that you can help that, you know, because um, if you're trying to fight your instincts and style, that's that's really hard, you know. <laughs> so I think that, yeah, first and foremost, it, it should be not only the director's vision, but if something doesn't feel like, feel right, you know, have a conversation. Like, why doesn't that feel right, you know? And it goes back to the story and the character's and the emotion, and I think that's that's you know first and foremost. And if you're communicating that, you're you're doing a good job. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I definitely did. Uh, I know I got fatter after eating my way through this episode. And I hope you did too. That way we can be fat asses together. Nothing better. Someday, when I die, I'll be on my tombstone taken by cheese and sausage. And that's, I'm going to be happy in that. It'll be good. And then Gina can go back into the dating market and find someone new. Just a dog. You're just going to buy a dog? You're going to replace me with a dog? Uh-huh. Uh, so... Thanks for listening, and uh, I hope you learned something uh, new about the life of, a, of having the life of a cinematographer and what it's actually like. Um, uh, Kayla's a sweetheart, and I'm really excited about her work. And after we did this episode, we sat around for another two hours and talked on the front porch. So she's a really cool person. Go check her out. I will post her link below so you can look at her work. It's beautiful. And I know she's on a movie or something right now, so I wonder if she's going to post about that. So you go check her, her, go check out her stuff on Instagram. Wow, can you tell that I have been recording all day today? My voice is tripping over itself. Um, and as I've said before, thank you for following me on Instagram. Thank you for following the show on Instagram. Thank you for clicking through on all the different sponsors. And I hope you guys have really enjoyed this new season. This will be. One, two, three, fourth, fourth episode in season two. And I've been getting a lot of responses and people have been saying, fuck, man, it's getting better. That's because of you. It's because of your support. Uh, it's because the fact that my roommates let me literally record almost every day for the past two weeks here at the apartment. Soon I will have a studio. Soon we will videotape these. Soon you'll be able to watch me eat, which it's going to be fun for me. Uh, that's it. I'm rambling and ranting. Thanks for listening to the show. Uh, and always in the background, what you're hearing is the amazing music from Code Electro. He had a bunch of deals last week for Halloween. I think he still does. 
He's uh, selling off some fucking rad vinyls. Really cool vinyls. Uh, and he just put out a new EP that is like pretty awesome shit. So go check him out on Instagram. It's at code underscore electro. Uh, his link is always below the episode. And this show wouldn't sound as cool without his stuff. So check him out. All right, guys. Thanks for listening.